Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is June 29, 2016. This is episode 1818 of the Survival Podcast, and today we are going to talk to Dr. Stephen Lewis of Doctors Nutrition out of East Texas. If you guys... Uh, I've been around a while. You might have heard him. He's been on the show three other times. A lot of you guys do work with him. He loves working with you guys because you actually follow the program. And uh, he is a chiropractor who uses medical testing to determine nutritional deficiencies. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but we're here more to talk about um, the GMO world and glyphosate, and pesticides, and herbicides, and how those affect our health adversely. We'll be talking about all that and more with Dr. Lewis in just a bit. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Hey guys, you know I've always been a fan of Backwoods Home Magazine? Well, how about this? How about Self-Reliance Magazine from the same people that brought you Backwoods Home? Many of you know I've been a Backwoods Home subscriber for over 20 years. Dave Duffy and the crew over there have brought out a new magazine simply called Self-Reliance Magazine. It's at self-reliance.com online, and you can learn more about it by the link in today's show notes. But it's amazing. Just take Backwoods Home up the production value, take out all the politics, and go 100% hardcore homesteading, self-reliance, self-sufficiency. And that's what you get in Self-Reliance Magazine. Check them out today, self-reliance.com. Hey, guys, you know what? I love using herbs over conventional medicine for so many reasons. But there's so much hype in the herbal industry, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why I was so excited over seven years ago when I found Western Botanicals, an honest company with great products and wonderful people who really care about their customers. For all your herbal needs, do what I do and check out westernbotanicals.com. And with that, let's take a look at the history segment. The year is 1818 because the episode is 1818. Alex Shrugged has a new segment for us every day based on the year that was the episode at tspwiki.com. Here's what we have today. We have milk sickness and the poisoning of Mrs. Lincoln. I have Andrew Jackson invade Spanish Florida. In other news, Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley's Frankenstein. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is published anonymously. She explores what might happen if a scientist with good intention brings a man back to life without considering whether the man might want the life he has been given. The modern flag of the United States is adopted. The original flag of 1777 had 13 stars in a field of blue. The new rule is one star per state, added on the 4th of July following the date of admission. That worked until 1953 when somebody knows Congress never approved Ohio's admission to the Union. They fixed it. Silent Night is first sung on Christmas Eve in Austria. Father Joseph Moore has written the lyrics two years ago, but this year Franz Gruber, the church organist, composes the melody, and history is made in a small village of Austria. I have to tell you, Silent Night is my favorite Christmas song. Um, I, I don't consider myself to follow any organized faith. Uh, I personally don't consider myself to be a Christian. I know many of you are. I respect your faith and your beliefs. But I can, I can see beauty in beauty. And it is one of those beautiful songs ever written. It's cool that it happened this year, 1818. For our main segment, I'm going to read for us Milk Sickness and the Poisoning of Mrs. Lincoln. I wanted to read Andrew Jackson because you guys know I like Andrew Jackson, but I couldn't let my own, my own favoritism 
uh, dictate this one. I had to think about what would be maybe best for the audience as a whole to, to hear about today. I think this one is because it has a lot of lessons. As American colonists move west, they meet with a mysterious new disease, the milk sickness, otherwise known as the trembles, the slows, and many other names that indicate a rural, undeveloped region. It is not an epidemic, but as roads improve, perishable items such as milk, butter, and meat are carried further and faster, so the poisoning spreads. It begins with cows trembling. In people, the symptoms are intestinal pain, vomiting, and persistent death. Recently, a number of people have died of the milk sickness at the Little Pigeon Creek Settlement in southwest Indiana, including Nancy Hanks Lincoln, the mother of nine-year-old Abraham Lincoln. It is caused by a poison from the white snake root. When the cows graze and goats graze in the woods, they eat this plant. People eat the dairy products and meat from those animals, which concentrates the poison, leading to vomiting and death. Cattle prefer grass, but they will eat the white snake root during times of drought when there's no other food available. This causes poisoning and will not be discovered until 1928. Wonders why, one wonders why it takes so long. My take by Alex Shrugged. I browsed a number of journals, uh, journal articles from the 1880s on the subject of milk sickness. It is pathetic to watch these men of science trying to guess what is going wrong instead of following the cows around and figuring out what the heck they were eating. There was a certain amount of class prejudice going on. Scientists live in cities. Farming near cities usually takes place in developed lands, mostly cleared of wood and wild brush, including the white snake root. Scientists didn't want to ride a long distance in remote, to, remote, to remote regions just to watch the smelly cows. But when long-distance transportation of perishable foods became practical, the poisoning became a problem for the cities and thus became a problem for the scientists who lived there. FYI, I emphasize white snake root as a poisonous plant because medicinal-grade black snake root, snake root, or black cohosh, is sometimes used to help women with symptoms of menopause. Of course, I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. Yeah, I took this for two reasons today. One, just we have to be careful when we just say, well, the science says science is a flawed art. It is only as good as the scientists doing the research. Think about that during today's show with Dr. Lewis. And then the other thing is, The cows eat it, and it doesn't really kill all the cows. Sometimes the cows get sick, but a perfectly healthy-looking cow, you drink the milk and you can get sick or die because the toxin is concentrated in the milk. We're going to talk about GMOs today. We're going to talk about things being sprayed with pesticides and herbicides today and realize that the reason something would be concentrated in the milk is it is a concentrated nutritional thing that is given to a cow, Right, a calf, so that it can grow. Um, the other place it would be concentrated would be somewhere like the ovum. That would be another place things would be concentrated. When you eat seeds, you're eating an ovum, a vegetative ovum, but that's basically what you're eating. Seeds concentrate toxins. That's why I had to pick this one for today, just kind of reinforce that. And some of you guys that are homesteading, all you need to realize when you move out to these remote areas, white snake root will kill you just as well today as it did in 1818. With that, let's get into the main topic of today's show. My special guest today is Dr. Stephen Lewis, returning for his fourth appearance on the Survival Podcast. I always love talking to Dr. Lewis. And with that, hey, Stephen, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, it's good to be here. Uh, I love what you do. 
Well, thank you, man. I'm glad to have you with us. You've been on the air a couple times before. You actually work with a lot of members of my audience, uh, but a lot of people have no idea who you are or what you do. So could you kind of fill us in on that for new people and kind of start out a little bit earlier, like when you were a kid growing up and all, how did you end up uh, you know, in your current profession? What, what led you there, that type of thing, just so people can kind of connect with you as a person? Well, you know, I've always said that people do things for two reasons. They do it to avoid pain or they do it to go toward pleasure. And, of course, I'm a big pleasure seeker. But the reason I do what I do is one of those moving away from pain experiences. You know, I saw my daddy had ulcerative colitis and, you know, blood sugar issues and immune system issues. And he actually went to a lot of different hospitals. And I love our medical profession. I really do. I admire them. But there's other things that's going into our poor health in America. So I saw my daddy die when he was 53 and I was 15. And so from that point on, I decided, you know, there's got to be an answer because he tried the medical profession and they did a lot of good things, of course, but uh, he still died. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I had a chiropractor that was uh, um, very much into naturopathy and homeopathy and supplements. And he has blown people into a new reality of living and I met him. I had to go from Texas to Arizona and stay out there about four months. And uh, he saved me from ulcerative colitis. And he says, sir, you need to go be a chiropractor and do what I do. And I saw people that had huge, huge tumors go away in his office. And, you know, my, my ulcerative colitis kind of got better. And I thought, well, it's just a remission. He said, it's not a remission. Go back to Texas. You're fine. Just eat this. Don't eat that. Take these supplements and you'll be fine for the rest of your life. And, you know, he was right. So he kind of reinstated, kind of kind of made me believe again in the power of the body to heal itself. So I went through chiropractic college. And although I like structure, function and nervous system, you know, there's more to it. Because if you don't have the nutrition to work with, your body just cannot come close to working uh, like it should. And the real kicker here is get on the train and stay there. A lot of people in America, they kind of jump off the track before your body's had time to make the changes it needs. Yeah, definitely. Um, We're we're here today to talk mostly about GMOs, and uh, I think that's a great topic. And I was glad to see you come up with it. But real quick before we move into that, for people who haven't heard you before, as a chiropractor, you take a, a unique approach as far as figuring out what type of supplements to give people, what type of plan to put them on. You just give a, a brief, you know, two-minute overview of how you do that and how it's different. Well, <laughs> Janet says I'm full of isms. Like uh, I, I say things kind of in a strange, convoluted manner so that people remember it. And I just tell people supplements are like women. <laughs> there's a lot of average ones out there. There's a very, very few really, really good women. And there's some that's crazy as, oh, my God, that uh, and they're harmful and toxic and stalk you in your sleep and stab you and beat you with a baseball bat. Supplements out there, I've seen them do a lot of harm because people say, well, it's it says vitamin D. I say, well, yeah, I've had women tell me a lot of things that wasn't true. And ladies listening, that's true of men also. I know that's very true. But uh you kind of have to go better quality supplements and, you know, people say, but I'm taking this. And I said, well, the lab says it's not working, but they want to continue to do that. So the lab work cuts through the crap. I'm sorry. It cuts through the bull. 
and we do it so inexpensively. I, you know, I got a lot of MDs that come in my office and order their lab through me because they can't even order it as cheap as I sell it. So, well, you know, I think one of the other things I've really liked about what you do with with taking uh, lab work prior to applying supplements. So, using your woman analogy, there's a lot of great women out there, but they're but just because a woman's a great woman doesn't mean she's a right woman for a particular guy. And you can have best quality vitamin D or whatever it is in the world. And if that person's not deficient in that, D is probably something everybody should be taking. But you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of people out there taking supplements because a magazine said so, an article said so, an advertisement said so. And, and they have no idea whether they need that particular thing or not. So by having a baseline lab report, it's kind of like if I said, here's a map, go to Philadelphia. Well, you could do that if you knew where you was. Right. If I dropped you off blindfolded in the middle of Kansas and there were no street signs <laughs> and I hand you a perfectly good map, unless you know how to use a, co a compass and, and do a back azimuth and kind of figure out where in the world you are, and you still ain't going to do that. I mean, in Kansas, it's flat. You have no frame of reference. You're stuck. You need you need coordinates of your starting place, even with the right map, to get to the destination, right? So without that lab work, that's what I've always kind of thought when people say, well, I went to this guy and he told me to take these 20 things. I'm like, well, how does he know you need them? And you were like the first person in this niche that had an answer for that. So that's why I've always appreciated what you've done, and I think it's why you're so effective. You know, I, I bet Dorothy likes you because your analogies have a lot less bite than mine. Yeah, <laughs> some of them. Anyway, um, I want to talk about um, the GMO stuff with you and, and glyphosate and all this stuff. Um, there was recently a, a big report that came out. That based, uh, big, it was called a study. Uh, and last time I checked the studies, we actually run a study rather than just looking at a whole bunch of literature, but that right. seems like what was done there, that basically said to us all, just shut up, eat your GMO, be quiet, there's nothing wrong with it, we've done it for 20 years, just like we told you, go away and quit whining now. But you say there's a lot of lies and agenda being pushed through and falsified research. Can you kind of talk about that? Mm. Yeah, you know, that's that's really good because people tell me every day, well, I got on Google and researched it, and I just roll my eyes, you know, hopefully where they don't see me. It's like just because you read it doesn't mean it's true, and there's a lot of partial truths there. Uh, one of the things they do, and, and these are a lot of different studies, if you understand how a good study is being, you know, blind, double blind, and, you know, people that know what they're taking, people that don't know what they're taking, it's, it's pretty extremely scientific and difficult to get a real study. But, like, you know, what are the lies? Uh, just in the GMOs, you know, what Monsanto did was uh, when they tested it on different types of animals, What they did, they increased the amount of protein so much, and it wasn't GMO protein. So the little bit of GMO protein they got, it's not going to show anything in a short, several-week feeding study. So they artificially raised the protein so that their bad protein wouldn't show up problems. But in the other studies where it was done more scientifically, a lot of the GMOs created infertility, created depression. It's like, I don't know how you know a cow's depressed, but I can show you. Oh, you can tell when a cow's depressed. I'm, I'm telling you. And if there's a milk cow, they, they stop giving you milk. <laughs> yeah, they don't nuzzle up to you when you yeah. go to milk them. Uh, and I warn people to be careful. And I want to use this as an example. 
uh, there was a big expose, so to speak, on vitamins one time, and this is how they skew statistics. Uh, the trials that made the cut, they looked at a lot of different ones, but they were so skewed toward the elderly, which meant, oh, they only took the ones that were closer to the pearly gates and the, you know, the, the average mean, the, uh, the average age was 80. It's like, well, geez, the average age in America is not even 80. So that's the ones that made the cut. And so when a participant died, uh, you know, like heart disease, cancer, uh, kidney failure, arthritis, and, and they had all kinds of different things. They said, well, we put them on vitamins. They died. Therefore, vitamins kill people. <laughs> That's what they did. And people read this stuff on Internet and think they're brilliant. Well, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. And, you know, the lab work that Janet and I do is so blooming low cost. It takes out the the guesswork. It takes out the baloney BS, you know, BS stands for belief systems. It takes that out. Uh, and some of the studies that they put, say, on vitamins, they would give people like 5,000 IUs of vitamin E, which is about three times beyond toxic. Hmm. So sometimes they only gave the vitamins for a few days or a few months, not long enough to really get a good statistical analysis. And they do that with the GMOs. There's some really good research out of England. Uh, guys got in trouble for exposing what was happening there. So um, there does seem to be a lot of that. People actually tell the truth and then they get in trouble. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a scientist, but I didn't think that's how science was supposed to work. <laughs> well, real science doesn't. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of the feeding trials where they're saying, oh, well, the GMOs are safe. They don't even tell you what the feed composition was. So how can you come to a conclusion that it was good? Yeah. Yeah. It's again, you're back to like, what's the beginning, right? How do we know where we came from? Um, and then on the GMO side, like I said, that study says that they're safe. What, what does real research show about GMOs? Well, <clears throat> For example, there was a study done on genetically modified tomatoes, and most people don't realize it's not just grain, which you and I agree, grain is terrible. You shouldn't be doing it. It's not for people, and if you doubt me, pick up a handful of it without doing something to it first and try to eat it. <laughs> I mean, that's that's my litmus test. If I can't eat it in the form that it comes in, I'm probably not supposed to. You're right. And I have to tell these people... I'm going to get off track. Keep me on track because this, you know, I get really like I should be behind a pulpit, you know, when I start talking about this. Um, you know, like genetically modified tomatoes, they cause all kinds of things, including cancer, including stomach upset. How many people out there have acid reflux? And your doctor says, well, it's just too much acid. Well, that's only true 10% of the time. What about the other 90%? Well, it's usually the GM stuff that's causing that, especially grain. But And genetically modified soybeans, when you fed them to cows, they gave less nutritious milk. They gave birth to offspring that grew slower and were shorter. Uh and have you noticed over the generations that we have more and more problems? And I talked to one of your listeners the other day. 
He said, well, I've got six kids and I'm an IT guy. And now I'm going into farming just because I've noticed my kids, the more kids we have, the worse their allergies get. And he says, Jack taught me that I shouldn't be doing grains and genetically modified stuff. So now I'm going into farming. I said, you, sir, at 38 are a wise man. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so we have more reflux. We have more GERD. We have more stomach issues. Uh, and we have and we, more obesity. And I think that's connected. I know they say it's because kids are eating more junk food and all. I'm sure that's not good. But, I mean, I don't know exactly how old you are. I think you're, you and I are somewhere in the same age bracket, same generation. There was a lot of ice cream and candy bars and penny candy and stuff like that going down kids in, you know, the 70s and 80s. Right. And we had something that they don't have at school anymore. And you know what that is? It's the fat kid. Right. There's no such thing as the fat. Like every school had one or two that was. And I feel bad now that it was, you know, singled out like that and labeled like that or whatever. But but you right. know the point I'm making. We had a fat kid in our class or in our school. Today you don't have a fat kid. You have fat kids. Oh yeah, like half fifty percent. And I can't believe it's just what they're eating. Well, I can believe it's what they're eating, but I can't believe it's just the caloric consumption. Because, like I said, peanut butter sandwiches and candy and ice cream, and I mean, all summer long. We, we I'm from a small town. You know, every day you were going to the pool and then going from the pool to to the place to get ice cream and eating a a CMP Sunday, which I don't think anybody outside of Pennsylvania knows. It's chocolate marshmallow and peanut. All right, <laughs> that's pretty calorically dense, and yet not everybody. Most kids were in decent shape. We've actually broken our genes, and I keep telling people, well, at least 50% of us have that MTHFR uh, broken gene, and now I'm reading some research that says, no, it's 80% of us, and for people that don't know that, it's uh, 5-methyltetrahydrofolate reductase. It, it was easier to say that than remember the initials for a long time, but that means you can't utilize folic acid, and one guy even had the uh, stupidity to say, well, I don't like Dr. Lewis's stuff because it's not all natural. And I said, well, cyanide and arsenic and tapeworms are natural, but you shouldn't put them in your body. I mean, and, and he didn't stick with it long enough. Yeah. You have to have this 5-MTHF made in a laboratory so that the folate or folic acid can convert B6. If it can't convert B6, you're depressed and full of anxiety. And, oh, and then it can't convert uh, B12. And if you don't have B12, then your brain begins to shrink and you have depression. You have no energy. And it's like, oh, I want it quick. I want it in three weeks or three months. No, it takes years to heal your guts because in these grains that you, I think, very eloquently talk bad about, you're a lot more eloquent than I am. I'm kind of blunt, but it has, you know, we all know about gluten, 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 but what about gliadin and lectin? People say, really? What's lectin? I never heard of it. That's a protein that binds it gets in your intestinal villi and stops absorption of nutrients not absorption of calories so part of it is because we've increased gluten 40 times we've increased increased you know gliadin and lectin that's part of it because we can't absorb nutrients and we don't have the nutrients and you know i'm maybe getting ahead of myself but Monsanto and Roundup and glyphosate or glyphosate, it's a mineral chelator. And that means what little's in the soil can't get into you because it's bound inside the plant. And so now you're mineral deficient 
oh, well, you don't have the manganese and the magnesium and the chromium to make insulin and have that response, boom, you get fat. And I tell people, getting weight loss is not going to be easy because you know, that's a real multifaceted thing. But the people, your people that, that listen to the Survival Podcast have better results because, God bless you, there's a much higher percentage of you that stuck with it. And then the ones that felt better and then quit, well, they're coming back after six months or a year. I just got Kevin back from Montana or Wyoming, wherever he's from. It's like... Your people are awesome, but they're listening to you, and then I'll reinforce it, and I'll prove it on lab what you're saying is correct. You know, whenever we talk, I, I always – I don't want to get off track either because you and I can do that easy, but um, <laughs> the the parallels between human health and soil health, and I don't just mean the link because I definitely know there's a link between healthy soil and healthy, healthy populations. Weston Price taught us that long ago. Mm-hmm. But what I'm actually talking about is that they work the same way. And what I mean by that is you'll see people with a plant, and the plant's all sad, and it looks like it's calcium deficient. And they put calcium on it to health's high end. And, and I'm fine with you know supplementing iron, calcium, magnesium, et cetera, iron uh, to plants, and some of them need it, and it, it's like a therapy. Until you, you build your soil up, you do that. But they'll pour calcium on it, and they won't use amendments like green sand or lava sand or something that has all the other trace minerals. And if that plant's deficient in boron, you can bathe it in calcium, and it can't use it. Right. And it's the same thing for the human body. You you can have one or two things that you're deficient in, and then you can pour on everything else, and you've kind of created this causal chain that you're, you, you, that's why they say you're purchasing expensive urine when you buy vitamins. In, in some instances, you may be, because if you don't fix that one thing, like you're talking starting out with the, the, the folate there, then... None of the other stuff can really do what it's supposed to do. No, you talked about low boron. Hey, guess what, folks? If you don't have enough boron, you can't make testosterone. Have you noticed on television they have ads? Do you have low T? Well, yeah, 90% of us do. Do you have infertility? Yeah, we're seeing that more and more often. And it's it's the microbiome of the soil, like you said, uh, which, you know, we'll get into. You've got to – it's these micro – Biomes that make all of this available, and you, you know a lot more about the rhizomes than I do, although I've done experimenting with some of these essential microorganisms, and the plants like go ballistic with the amount uh, that they produce compared to a conventional GMO plant. I've, I've experimented with it. It's, it's pretty amazing that we get the fungal relationship, but let's not go there because we will get off the track. Um, <laughs> I mean, have you ever asked yourself this question when they keep telling us how safe GMOs are? Then, then why do they spend literally billions of dollars preventing labeling legislation? God, I have to think carefully so I don't offend people with, with what I'm thinking about that. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's because a lot, and I, I try my best in every day to stay out of politics. But, you know, there's a lot of uh, congressmen and senators that have been bought and paid for over and over and over again. You know, you've got the Vermont. They had their GMO labeling law that's supposed to take effect in 2016. Well, there's, you know, some problems with that, I understand. And there's a lot of different uh, groups. You know, I tell everybody survival podcast, but I'm a big fan of environmental working group, uh, Weston Price Foundation and things like that. 
because you know like the the biotechnology companies i think they spent about 64 million dollars to lobby against labeling folks we got the cart before the horse it should be the ones that are full of chemicals and genetically modified stuff that have to label their stuff it shouldn't be the burden shouldn't be put on organic farmers to do that yeah i mean the the, the what they say is well it will it will damage the industry, you know, meaning agriculture as a whole, the food industry as a whole, because it'll create a negative perception, right? And I'm thinking, you know what? People have a right to make a decision on that. I mean, if if there there are stories of doom were that bad, there wouldn't be a smoker on planet Earth because they put that. Remember back in the '80s, they had the big fight and they put that little label on there yeah, that yeah. it was dangerous. Like, I mean, I think it was Dennis Leary that had a comic routine that said, you know, like. I thought there was vitamin C in them and stuff. I didn't know they were dangerous. Now I'll never smoke again. And so I don't think that if they labeled food with GMO, that the average workaday person would even notice. But I think the people that are at least paying like a little bit of attention, maybe the people that are really paying attention, we've just figured it out for ourselves. Unless it says it's not, it is. But there's a lot of people in that middle that I think could be migrated over to a healthier lifestyle if they were just aware how and I don't think it's just that it's there; it's that it's everywhere, that it's all over the place. Yeah, you know, I think that's a good point. Um, at least give people a choice, and I, I agree. There's a lot of very unaware people, but guess what? The ones that are aware are going to be the ones that's going to repopulate the earth, and sooner or later, <laughs> the survival of the fittest might come into play. I'm hoping. Um, you know, you know, they they even talked about you know. Salmon, you know, GMO salmon and all that. But did you know that they grow 30% slower than a regular salmon? Did you know they're more uh, prone to disease? Do you want to put a healthy fish in your mouth or do you want to put a diseased fish in your mouth? I mean, think about it because what you put in your body actually can break or heal genetic expression. And I can go into the cancer thing. It's like, well... I read all the big cancer things, and it's like, that's a really complicated thing. But you can alter genetic expression by up to 95% in the way that physiology works in the body. You do it through having the good nutrients, and I, I said good, not your average run-of-the-mill nutrients, and you have to, have to, have to have the probiotics. And it's hard to get a probiotic to to grow in there because you're giving it, oh, you're eating healthy chicken. You're giving it a dose of antibiotics in your so-called healthy chicken. And then you get into what glyphosate does. That's like an antibiotic. It kills the good probiotics. So, yeah, we sell the heck out of probiotics, but I tell people ferment your own food also because that is very, very protective. If you do your kefir, kimchi, your sauerkraut, uh, you can alter genetic expression, but you got to get on the train. It takes a while to get the train up to speed, but don't jump tracks. It's it's just crazy, and we're seeing really good results. And people, it, we get a lot of young couples that are not fertile, and we've got gobs and gobs of doctors, nutrition babies running around uh, if they just follow the protocol and stick with it. Yeah, and I mean, wouldn't you say that? These GMOs are also creating super weeds the way that, that you mentioned antibiotics are creating like super germs. Like, so the, the, the thing that is supposed to actually fix, not only is it doing all this other stuff, it's actually not fixing the problem that they intended to fix in the first place. You know, 
we see that more and more. And I, I get the pleasure of talking to a lot of farmers. Some are organic and some are conventional. Um, guy in Idaho called me and gave me holy hell for giving him hell about, you know, his GM potatoes. I said, I'm sorry, but that's my opinion. Uh, you know, it's leading to more and more of the spraying of the different herbicides. Uh, you know, we're getting up over a billion pounds per year now where, you know, there's some earlier research that says, oh, it's only 239 million. Well, now it's a billion pounds. And, and just, just kind of simply, this is coming from good research. It says toxins can mimic estrogen activity. Think low testosterone or mm-hmm. estrogen, de- estrogen dependent cancer in women has a profound effect on moods. We're talking glyphosate here, and that's from Journal of the American Medical Association and Journal of Science. PCB pesticides affect the uptake of neurotransmitters, which means dopamine, serotonin, glutamate, GABA. That's why you got stress, anxiety, and depression. That's from Journal of Toxicology. Uh, idiopathic environmental intolerance syndrome, that's a big long word. It just means you've got an overtaxed immune system that's coping with too many toxins, and that's why I went into the MTHFR. So you've got to have that to methylate. But if you have too many toxins, that's associated with increased panic attacks. And that's from Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology. It's like, geez, folks, the answers are here. Don't go looking for something different. You found the answer, and it's put in the the nutrients. Prove it on lab. Put in the good, good, good probiotics. You have to have those little microorganisms because there's ten times more of them than there are cells in your body. You know, it's, it's, now the super weeds are going ballistic. You can, you can drive through a farming area and see it. And you know what the solution to that is, according to Bayer and Monsanto? More of the stuff that caused it? Yeah. (laughs) And now they're genetically modifying microorganisms to put in the soil. Genius. That's like millions of years. Genius. It's, it's crazy. And I'm sorry, I'm kind of getting on my soapbox behind the podium here. But uh, it's crazy as hell. Now, I mean, let's talk about BT toxins. I mean, you know a lot about that. Yeah, oh. yeah. And I mean, we just doesn't need to talk there and talking about this. You know, estrogen. You know, mimicking estrogens yep. with, with glyphosate, and then you spray glyphosate on soy, and they put soy in almost as much stuff as they put corn in. Yep. And soy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but soy has like phytoestrogens in it that kind of can do some of the same type of damage. So you're basically turbocharging something that already you shouldn't be eating with the very thing that makes it why you shouldn't eat it. You know, that's really true. And it's the chronic inflammation that this uh, causes that causes obesity. Jen and I were very fortunate about 10 years ago. We went to China and studied for a little while. And, you know, part of it was a tourist trip. Part of it was, well, we had to sit through seminars and, Learn stuff. You just talk about the fat kid. Oh yeah, we'd go all through Beijing, and I remember one fat kid. One fat kid. I walked on Tiananmen, Tiananmen Square. You know where that controversy happened. You didn't see any fat people there. It, it's amazing the difference in China, and they're a pretty uh, polluted country, but not to the same degree. So what we have in America is we have the best medical profession in the world, and I'm convinced that's really, really true. 
America's dead last in overall health, according to a couple of big entities, the Commonwealth Fund and the World Health Organization. We're 57. We're worst in the industrialized nations. We're dead last, but we spend two and a half times more money on health, which is not true. It's spent on disease. Two and a half times more, and we're getting less. I think it might actually be biting us in another way, too. Because we have such amazing medical capabilities to keep people alive. Yeah. We keep people alive that would have otherwise died. And then people mimic their behavior. And, and over several generations, you get into people just living in ways that no one would have done in the past and figuring I can get away with it because there's a surgery for that. There's a drug for that. Um, and and we, we've actually medicated ourselves into disease. And, and the, the pharmaceutical industry just seems all too happy to say that's great because that means we got all of you as customers for life. I mean, it seems like what they want us to be putting drugs and shots in us from the day we're born till the day we die. And if they can keep us alive longer, that's great because we're better customers that way. But if well, they get us know, healthy, then that's a problem because we don't need them anymore. You know, I think that's very true. You know, I love drugs. You know, it's called caffeine in the morning and beer at night, but I don't even do beer much because of the grains in it. Uh, you know, like 60% of all the bankruptcies in America have to do with medical care or, or the bills from medical care. And I've talked to a lot of different MDs. They're really nice people. They do a good job. They're very intelligent. They said, you know, I get really tired of trying to bail their butt out from eating Twinkies and Snickers all day long. They created their own problem, but they want a magic pill. The doctors are frustrated too. Sure they are. Well, you can understand why. And that's why they, I think they've gotten to the, here's your problem. Here's your pill next and and they're making it very hard for a doctor to make a living anymore as well i mean the, the, the costs are burdensome the insurance for them is burdensome they get paid slow by all this government health care stuff and they don't get it, what people see is the bill is not what the doctor gets paid it's it's a mess yeah. um but with all this glyphosate what can we do about it i mean obviously the first step is stop eating stuff that has it but I mean, if it's done damage to a person, like what are their steps and part of that, like detoxification from it? Does it have lasting effects? You know, does it take a long time to get rid of it? You know, it really takes a long time. And that's that's another thing in our society. We've become, I think, way too impatient. Uh, you know, one of the most depressing studies I ever read was said if you took all the GMOs out of your diet, which is pretty much impossible for most people, and you put in massive amounts of probiotics and lots of other good nutrients, it would take you 9.7 years to heal your guts, 50%. Now, folks, if it, if you're depressed, if you're overweight, if you have any kind of disease, you know, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, whatever, your guts is the number one thing you've got to fix. That is always the major component in the common denominator and so the glyphosate, well, read studies. What should people do? Read peer-reviewed studies. There are no peer-reviewed studies that says glyphosate is safe or GMOs, none. And there's so much independent research that says the glyphosate causes endocrine disruption. That means, hey, your hormones are off. Developmental toxicity, that would be like ADD, ADHD, reproductive problems, DNA damage, that's the lack of methylation and going into cancer and a lot of other diseases. Uh, liver damage, you know, half the people I see, no matter what their age, they have high liver enzymes. They're still within range, but this range inc includes 
this is tacky, Jack, but this is what I tell people. These ranges include the 400-pound people that you find in Walmart or on the Internet for the Walmart people or the Walmartians. So these ranges don't mean healthy. That means common. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you've got to shop, and I know it, it is making a difference because we're seeing more organic. We're seeing more grain-free. God bless the dog food companies. They're saying grain-free. Then they put in peas and sweet potatoes, and I told Janet, when's the last time you saw our dogs out digging for sweet potatoes? I had a, a vet that fancied herself kind of like a natural health enthusiast vet, and she'd say, you know, for a treat, you should give him something like a, a carrot. He shouldn't yep. be eating people food. And I'm like, well, first of all, what is people food, <laughs> right? Because there's some, I mean, what what is people food, right? If, if you're eating bread, I don't think that's people food in the first place, but if i if i go out and and slaughter one of my birds and then i make stock from the, the the frame and i give that remains to that dog that is that people food or is that <laughs> is that like the best dog food on the planet and i was and that's what i finished with i asked her the same thing you just said when is the last time you saw a wolf eating a carrot <laughs> and i'm thinking my dog's not going to eat a carrot i gave him one to see if he'd do it just you know kind of out of shits and giggles and no he was not interested in the carrot now if you cook a carrot in a, in a pot roast and it sucks up a bunch of meat juice that <laughs> yeah. dog will eat that carrot but you know i mean i think a treat for a dog is like a, a, a beef rib backbone or something like that they seem to like that a lot better uh again i love your analogies uh Janet thinks mine are a little harsh at times, but it's like, eh, I don't mean to be disrespectful ever. As long as people understand you on the other end, you're doing good, you know. <laughs> you know, you know, the glyphosate, it's been proven with peer-reviewed studies to create antibiotic resistance, which would include the super weeds, but, you know, I get back to the human thing because that's what I do. It disrupts the gut bacteria, and then it dysregulates manganese utilization. Now, manganese is not something you hear about. It, you know, it's not magnesium. Uh, it, when it disrupts that, what happens is you have to have manganese for protein and fat metabolism. Think, oh, I'm obese. I'm not metabolizing fat correctly. has to do with healthy nerves, immune system, blood sugar regulation. So that goes into, you know, the diabetic tendencies and gaining weight. And that's just one, but manganese has to do with uh, like your disc, your tendons, your cartilage. Of course, me being a chiropractor is like I've always been interested in that. And the other day, Janet said something about her eyes and she's taken all kinds of different um, really good eye promote or healthy eye promoting uh, nutrients. And I said, just take manganese. She says, why? I said, because I said so, please, ma'am. <laughs> she started taking it, and holy crap, she put off her eye doctor appointment because all of a sudden she can see better. I said, well, if it makes it me better looking, it was worth it. <laughs> and that's just one mineral. Yeah, the green sand is absolutely awesome. And I'm always improving the soil, whether it's earthworms or, you know, the good bacteria or whether it's compost tea. I do that everywhere I go, even out on the deer lease. You know, I experiment. Well, we're doing compost here and uh, we're doing regular uh, uh, fertilizer here. And you know what? The deer and the pigs always go to the more naturally grown stuff. They do not go to the fertilized, you know, the, the NPK fertilization. They don't go there first. 
they always go where we put out cow manure and disc it in and plant it stuff on top of it. Almost like they have an intrinsic intelligence or something. I mean, you know, it, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, they didn't uh, even Google it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we see that too. We, we we don't have any places here that are chemically fertilized, but we've had different levels of how much time and effort we've been able to put on different areas, and the birds spend their time in the areas that have had the most improvement, which is little bit of a problem because they're the ones doing a lot of the improvement. So you got to incentivize them to go improve everything else. Um, but there's definitely the case that animals look for high nutrient dense feed and they know what they're looking for. I, this might sound disconnected, but it's really not. When persimmons start dropping, a deer won't eat anything else. And yeah. I, I was sitting in a tree stand one time, watching a deer eating persimmons under a tree. It was out of range and he ate every persimmon under that tree. Yeah. And he started walking away back across the field. And wind blew, and one persimmon fell, and that deer spun 180 degrees, <laughs> ran back over, ate that persimmon, and then he left. And, and I mean, that tells you that they're looking for that nutrient density because that's a very high nutrient dense food in the you know late fall, early winter when they yeah. eat that. So they're they're seeking that out. So they're going to seek that out whether it comes from browse, whether it comes from fruit, whether it comes from mast. They don't care. They just want what's got the most nutrition in it. And, and they're so wise, you know, I think uh, us people should get out of our head and go back to that discerning spirit that I talk about all the time. You know, go with your gut feeling. Oh, well, you got to heal your gut before you can get a good gut feeling because that, you know, causes aberrant thoughts if it's not right. But, yeah, you know, they will totally ignore the feeders that's throwing out GMO corn if anything else is available. That's always. The case. If anything else is available. It's not that they won't eat it. They'll eat it last. You right. Know, I mean, because right. I'll tell people too. They say, "Well, what, what should I do if I'm starving? We'll eat whatever you could get." Yeah. You know, what I mean, there there is a point for saying, "Well, what you do the best you can with what you have," and and yeah. that's how animals work too. Um, now, the other thing GMOs were supposed to do for us was reduce the use of pesticides. It doesn't really seem like that worked. It seems like they're spraying more stuff than ever. Yeah. Uh, they're now spraying 2,4-D again. That that was pretty much had gone away. Uh, they're 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 spraying all types of stuff. How is that affecting people's health? Well, you know, the more they put on, the more your body has to deal with. And detoxification's a pretty complicated thing. That's why I put a lot of people on liver detox and support. You know, it's not everybody gets it, but. Even with good liver enzymes, it speeds up detoxification. There's a lot of different pathways. The P450 is very important. That MTHFR, the, the folate, is very, very important. And, and at least half of us have it. So, you know, we've gotten to where we're putting it in more and more of our uh, formulas just in case you have that genetic SNP because since you're getting two, three, four times as many toxins as you did back in the late 1990s, yes, folks, it's increased over four times in about 20 years. Now, that scares the holy bejesus out of me. Uh, and, and when you get this, it's... Is it the lectin or gluten or gliadin that creates the, the gut problem, or is it celiac disease? Is it gluten, or really is it the glyphosate and the 2,4-D? You know, yeah, I, I, 
I kind of feel that way too because we live in a world of gluten intolerance today. And again, just thinking back to when I was a kid, that wasn't really a thing for very many people anyway. Right. And, right. and you know, I think it could be what you said. I think it could be so that we have agitated the system so much that people are less tolerant of gluten. It could be both of those together. It's hard to know, but we, we kind of know the genesis of it no matter what. Well, you know, it's good to avoid as much of it as you can in the plastics and pesticides. Well, you get a dose of fire retardants every night when you sleep on your mattress and pillows. So we're saving 12 idiots that get drunk and fall asleep with a lit cigarette and burn their butt up. We're saving them with the fire retardants in the mattresses. But you're killing thousands and thousands of kids because you're putting fire retardants on their pajamas, in their beds, and then they have longer to create or to to get that toxic load. Mm. You know, they're kind of measuring it every ten years, and they're finding six-year-olds that actually have a total body toxic load of what a seventy-year-old would have been when you and I were kids and our grandfathers. You know, they could do anything and eat healthy, and they could keep on going and, and keep working and have the energy. So it doesn't really matter so much. Is it the 2,4-D glyphosate? You know, is it the gluten, the gliadin? Is it the GMOs? You know, there was, there was a study I read, uh, about the GMO wheat, just on wheat. You were talking about gluten intolerance. Well, there's 40 times more gluten than there was when we were kids. So that's probably aggravating the problem. <clears throat> but there was 770 pages. Not 770 genetic problems, but 770 pages of how gene silencing genetically modified wheat can get in and begin to silence your genes. And that's why we're having little kids born without the ability to put out the immunoglobulin A, the immunoglobulin G. We're having immune system problems. Oh, we're having allergies like crazy. Oh, I burp and belch. You know, all of these things, they come along at the exact same ratio as the increase in genetically modified seed and the increase of glyphosate. That's scary. Yeah, it definitely is. And at times you almost feel like we're being exterminated. Um, <laughs> well, I've got so my much. <laughs> you know, it's just so much. But... um since we have GMO crops, we have asthma, allergies, autoimmune issues, weight gain, thyroid issues. All of that's become more rampant. Is, you'd say that's all correlated as well? Absolutely. You know, Janet got tired of me uh, recommending certain books about how bad the toxins are. Uh, <clears throat> she said, you're going to write your own book. I said, I don't want to write a book. So I wrote a real small one that goes on Kindle, and it's like, all it is is just enough for somebody to read it and say, holy crap, this is my problem. I need to do this. And I'm kind of proud to say it got bestseller on Amazon for a while. I'm getting really, really, really good reviews, except for one world-renowned thyroid specialist. That is, <laughs> and it's like, well, that's a compliment that he boo-booed it. He actually agreed with everything that was in the book. He didn't read it. <laughs> uh, and when you, That's beautiful. When you Google him, his patients said he's the most arrogant ass they've ever seen. But uh, and I'm sure he's a really, really good surgeon. But uh, 
medically, you know, they need help nutritionally. You know, people can't just do my stuff. Sometimes they need medical doctors. I love them. I work with them. It's no problem with me. So you've got the nutritional end of it. You've got the glyphosate and the GMOs that's chelating the minerals. So we're not getting the minerals that is critical, critical, critical to human physiology. Then you've got the toxins that your body doesn't have the nutrients to detoxify. So, you know, You've got a, several different facets here to the problem of, oh, we're not healthy anymore. But, you know, I'm determined to be healthy and to live happy and to have the energy. Uh, I've got the energy of somebody half my age as long as I take my stuff. And so I do. Janet won't tell me what I spend. She says, well, you don't need a new gun. <laughs> and you're not spending as much as you do paying for your tundra out there. And it's like, I think she's telling me a story, but I don't know. I just take it out of love and respect to her. I got you. <laughs> so, I mean, the big, the big promise in all of this, in addition to reducing herbicide and pesticide use, we know that didn't work, was that it would increase yield. So you've been digging into this, and I hear this all the time, GMOs increase yields. In your beliefs, do they? You know, if you tell a lie long enough and loud enough, there's a certain amount of people that's going to end up believing it. But does it increase yields? Oh, hell no, it doesn't increase yields. Because, you know, I've done the experiment with, oh, my God, I'm going to feed this tomato plant. Instead of having 30 cherry tomatoes, I get 300. And and that's supported with research. That's not just my experimentation. And some of the scientists say, well, you're only getting about 25 or 30 percent of the genetic potential out of a plant anyway. And so when you start feeding it things other than 2,4-D glyphosate and it's a non-GMO tomato, sometimes they will put out, you know, 100 percent more or 300 percent. At the very least, you know, one of the research, you know, it said, oh, well, we get one cucumber per node. And then we changed this, went pesticide-free, and now we get five cucumbers per node. One person that made millions growing corn out in West Texas, he said, I could get one ear of corn per stalk. And he says, when I did, you know, went chemical-free, rebuilt the soil, he said, I was getting four or five ears of corn per stalk. He said, that's why I've got $16 million in the bank in a very short period of time. You know, I'll tell you, it's back to the map thing we talked about earlier. Increase yields over what? So by the time we brought in all of this GMO stuff, we already had 40 years of chemical mainstream agriculture had destroyed the soils. Right. So I believe it's an illusion. I believe they did increase yields over where we were with chemicals in, let's say, 1985. Yeah. But they didn't increase the yield potential per, per acre And the reason you might even look back to the pre-chemical days is we have a lot of good technology that can be used at broad-scale agriculture now that wasn't available back then without chemicals. And if we had just continued the, the chemical-free approach and used technology for more efficient planting, more efficient soil management, things like that, I think we could have blown yields up. But what we did is we destroyed what was possible because we had – And even like, so it's hard to understand for people because we think in this microwave society, like you said, everybody wants it fast. Even before we went into mainstream, like the green revolution, broad acre, acre cam for, you know, from 1900 as we got the first Fords and tractors and stuff like that. Right. We weren't farming in a good way. 
we weren't using them as much chemicals and stuff. They were using fertilizers, but we were not taking care of the soil even then. So we have over a hundred years of abusing the land, and then we're basing our increased yield claim on the last twenty of those. I like your question. Increasing the yield over what? What? <laughs> that's that's perfect. Well, it's the same thing with the school system. I was at a, a free state meeting up in uh, New Hampshire, and there was a guy in the bar that just happened to overhear us talking. And he said, "Yeah, we moved. We, we're, we're moving to New uh, to, to Massachusetts because they have better schools. Is it better at what?" <laughs> he didn't really know how to answer that question. Better at indoctrination, better at control, better at brainwashing, better at teaching them something counter to what you want them to know, better at making sure they stay in clicks, better at what? Yeah. And in the end, it was better at getting test scores. Yeah, handing so out borrow really lots of money and go get a better <laughs> education in college to do yeah. whatever they probably yeah. won't do. Um, you have to think about your starting point and all this stuff. Um and you got to believe if this stuff is affecting the soil microorganisms, that that's going to affect our health, and it's got to be affecting the microorganisms in our body. Yeah, you know, we covered that, you know, in the last podcast. You know, our our, our favorite waitress said, "Well, what was your other podcast about?" I said, uh, "Soil microbiology and the human biome." She says, "Okay, never mind." <laughs> <laughs> But it's consistency. It's not as complicated as it sounds. You know, most of the research says that at the very least, you can increase your yields 30% by going chemical free and, and going toward organic. But keep in mind, folks, just the glyphosate kills your microorganisms and it's creating super weeds and like it is in the fields. Notice when we go to Biloxi, uh, we see the sugar cane after it's harvested. They burn that because there's not enough microbiology to break down the sugar cane. So they burn it where it should have the microorganisms that break it down and put the uh, nutrients back in to that. So, yeah, it's it's messing with us. So you got to take your probiotics. It's very important. we got about eight or ten different kinds, depending on what you need. But you got to learn to ferment your own food. Um, I really, I've kind of gotten into the bee business. I'm up to 12 uh, hives. And, you know, you talk about colony cl- collapse disorder. They're finding out, oh, guess what? They don't have lactobacillus and bifido in their systems, in their guts, so therefore they die. Folks, that's a direct correlation to what we need. If you get enough of these in your system, they've noticed that the more bifido bacteria that you have in your system, the more you lose weight because you extract nutrients but not calories. But when you get the uh, clostridium, you get the candida that everybody knows about, you get the bad bacteria and bad yeast, they extract calories, not nutrients. So, it's, yeah, these. It, 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 again, you're great back to soil health. I mean, you almost sound like Dr. Elaine Ingham, right? Talking about yeah, the good guys yeah. and the bad guys in the soil. And if you, if you create a, a soil situation where bad guys can flourish, good guys cannot. And if you create a situation where the good guys can flourish, the bad guys can't. It won't be that there'll be none of either there, but the one will dominate the other to the extreme because they need a different environment, right? Like a lot of the things that we think of as pathogenic, they can't exist in a healthy environment. They just can't. 
You know, I, I know people think that's oversimplification, but you you damn well see it with a microscope in the soil. I mean, you absolutely see it, and you see it happen very quickly. I think it's actually easier to heal soil than the human body in a lot of ways because I think maybe, I don't know, maybe just this. I'll say less damage has been done to it, but then when I think about it, I go, well, that's not the case. <laughs> well, again, I think we ought to get our intellect out because we're a nation full of knowledge but not wisdom. And yeah. sometimes I tell people, I told a lady just a while ago, I said, you know, you've been trying to do it on your own. You can't do it no matter how smart you are. Last year I was so sick I was trying to get an MRI under an assumed name because I thought I was going to die. <clears throat> and, of course, I was in charge of my own health, and I took five different rounds of nasty, nasty, nasty uh antibiotics, the kind that damage your brain and, you know, snap your tendons and all that. And Janet says, Stephen, why don't you just do this and this and this? And I did it. And I, holy crap, I suffered for a year. And in two days, my belly quit hurting and it hadn't stopped healing since then. It gets better every day because I wasn't smart enough to fix something that I had the same consciousness when it was developed. Janet was the outside objective source. And now when Janet says, Stephen, swallow this, I just say, yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know, I think part of that is you, you would recognize it if it was me. If I was your client, you, you'd recognize it in me real quick. It's, it, it's just like the mechanic whose right. car doesn't get the oil change. And he, he does a thousand oil <laughs> changes a day, right? But he, he doesn't change his own oil because it's right under his nose and it's him and I'm tired and I don't want it. I don't want to do it anymore. You know, I think whatever we, we, we specialize in, we tend to get weak in if we're not careful for ourselves because all of our energy and it's going to doing it for others. I think that's very true. Um, you know, thank God I've got Janet that she knows this as good as I do. She kind of lets me, you know, get the spotlight. It's like what she was doing it for years before I could, stop my chiropractic practice because it takes a long time to get 40 or 50 people a day to other places that you feel comfortable they're getting good quality care. That takes a long time to wind that down, feel comfortable about it. Janet was doing it and was extremely successful before I even, you know, crossed the fence and came over. So she was really good. She nailed it. Said, just take this, this, and this. You'll be fine. And two days later, lo and behold, I was healed. But, I mean, I think that's the other thing we need to set realistic expectations with, with healing your body, that not everything responds that quickly. It takes time. Um, it usually takes a lot of time. I remember reading a book, I think it was by Linda Page, where she said something akin to, for every five years you've spent screwing something up, expect about a year to unscrew it up. Yep, very true. You very know, true. I think there is a lot of truth to that, <laughs> and I think you can you can think about it this way, like, if you skin your knee, you just fall one time and skin your knee, and there's a certain right. amount of time that abrasion is going to take to heal. Well, if, if you do, if you skin the same spot 20 times, it's going to take longer to heal. So yeah. the more we damage our bodies, the longer it takes them to re re repair the damage that we've done to them. Or I guess another way to look at it would be, why do you expect it would be different than a smoker that quit smoking? When a guy quits smoking... <laughs> He feels better right well, as soon as he gets through the detox, right? He feels better. But it takes a long time for as much as is capable of like the cilia and stuff in his, 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 his lungs to come back and work well again. And some of it will never quite come back to what it could have been had you never damaged it in the first place.
And that's one of the things that ways that people set themselves up for failure, they go by how they feel. And our goal is to always feel better, and that should be part of the goal. But feelings are very deceptive because you'll still have good days and bad days. And, you know, Janet and I tell people, well, it's three months to get well plus one month for every year you've been sick. And people say, holy crap, it'll take me three years to get well. Well, you better get on the train because you're going to turn three <laughs> years older sooner or later. Uh, <clears throat> you know, the guy that says, well, I gave four doctors a chance and they failed. And I said, well, how long did you give them? He said, a month. I said, you going to give me more than a month? Well, he quit after a month and he's on to doctor number six. And it's sure. like. Yeah, babies take nine months, no matter how pregnant you are. It's like, eh, it's about nine months. You can't do it in a month, and he can't come out with a Baylor education and a full set of teeth. It's just physiologically limited there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. So um you got a little note here on my outline. I'm, I'm worried that we'll go way down in the briar with it. It's totally <laughs> unrelated to, to health and nutrition, other than I think you can – you can use it to procure some pretty healthy stuff. I use mine to do that. You say, feel free to talk about guns. I like your list, but I have my favorite. So <laughs> let's talk about that. What are some of your favorite guns? Well, you know, you talked about the Marlin, and it's, I shot a couple of those, uh, Marlin 22. I shot a couple of those extensively as a kid. I, you know, I killed a whole forest full of squirrels and coons, but for, for, uh, Semi-automatic, I've got so many 10-22s, I've given three or four away and still have five or six. They're incredible, but I like the Marlin 39A just because it's lever action, goes with my mustache, and you can shoot those little CB caps, and it is so fun to shoot squirrels with CB caps. You know, one of them gets killed, and the other one around him look up and say, what was that? He must have passed gas because it's so quiet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that, those are great guns. I like lever guns as a whole. I think that, I guess with lever guns, people either love them or they don't. I don't know anybody hates them, but like they just don't care. Like they just it doesn't it doesn't do it for them. But I mean, I grew up watching cowboy action movies and stuff like that, and you know that's what every cowboy had in his saddle uh, scabbard was, was a you know lever action, you know you know whatever you know thirty thirty or or what have you, and uh, that's. It is a great gun, and I think I think one thing that really people don't understand is the the, repeti- the speed of repetition. You know what kind of actual um, cadence of shot you can get off. It's actually really really fast action if you know yeah. how to shoot one well. Well, we used to go out to West Texas and uh, shoot jackrabbits because the farmers were just begging us to because they were overpopulated. And I shot one with a 44 Magnum single action Ruger. <laughs> and he said, that's not fair. You know, he was sitting still. Well, Jesus, he was about 40 yards off and he ran out of transmission fluid pretty quick. Uh, he says, you got to wait till they're running. So I took a Glock 17 and people love Glocks or hate Glocks. I yeah. personally didn't like them until I shot them. I prefer my Browning high powers. But a jackrabbit took off running. I shot all 17 shots, and he had 11 holes in him before he died. And my friend, who's a dentist with good hand-eye coordination, says, okay, I'll never challenge you again. But, uh, you know, out of those 11 holes, probably 10 of them were luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I'm not like a fan of go- locks myself, and I think after I shot one, I liked them less. I, I don't I don't fault them for reliability, Right, and I don't fault them for doing the job. I just don't like shooting them. But I grew up, you know, grew up shooting 1911 to, yep. to the point where it is when I pick up a 1911, it's like well, my hand got longer. 
And yep. I think that if you get, if you get conditioned to a certain frame, then even if something else is okay, I have a, a Ruger or not a Ruger, a Sig P239 40. Mm-hmm. I love that gun and it has a lot of similarity and feel to the 1911 frame, but still ain't it. And I think right. the, the guns are personal. I mean, they, they really are. That's, that's why I have a Browning high power 40 caliber in my truck and a nine millimeter in her car and then a couple of them at the house. And it's like, they just fit, man. I got long fingers, but they, I like the smaller grip than the Glock. And I've got several Glocks too. Cause when a patient comes in and says, well, this Glock 10 millimeter cover my deductible. I said, yes, sir. Lay it down. <laughs> <laughs> that's a gun I've always wanted. Uh, either, uh, whether, cause Glock is one of the few people that actually make them. Uh, I think there's an Italian company that makes a version. It's 10 millimeter. People don't realize the the power of that thing. That's it's, right. it's like comparable to a 41 Magnum in what it's yep. actually able to do. I saw Ted Nugent shot a Cape Buffalo with one. I <laughs> I don't recommend that, but it does speak to the effectiveness of the round. You, you, you know yep. why we that you know why that's not the law enforcement round of choice. By the way. I, I heard it's too much recoil for the average. FBI guys, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> so, so the 10 millimeter came out as the they were trying to decide where to go with service uh, guns for FBI agents. Right. And when they brought this out, it was extremely effective, and the limp-wristed FBI agents didn't like it, so they reduced it to a more acceptable, less likely to overpenetrate, less limp-wristed problem. Uh, <laughs> and when they did that, well, they liked it then, but they were like, well, it's still a really large handle. So in comes the 40 Smith & Wesson, because basically that's what they turned it into. Right. And and if those guys could shoot more than a bunch of babies, then probably every cop in the nation would be carrying a 10 millimeter instead of a 40 today. I got a MECTEP. Mech Tech upper for my Glock, and it makes a dandy little carbine. I've got a couple of different 41 Magnums. I got a Ruger and a Dan Wesson, and they are absolutely, oh my God, deadly. They told me on the deer lease in West Texas, says you can't kill a deer with a pistol. I said, yeah, I can. I went out and I cocked it. Yeah, I cocked it back, and you know, a deer came up, boom, about 40 yard shot. Of course, they had money on it, and they lost their money, and they gave me a black cap. Or hat and says, uh, we're going to call you wide Earp. <laughs> um, yeah, I want a lot of money on that deal. We were just talking about 357 Magnum on the air and I was explaining how that's a much better round than people think it is. Oh yeah. Because you hear all of this time, it's not enough for deer. It's not enough for deer. I just watched a, a video of a guy shot a pronghorn, which is about a deer sized animal right. at 129 yards <laughs> with a, with a 357 Magnum revolver, no, not scoped, open sight, sighted in the wind. Like he's like, I'm going to hold it over the, basically the back hind quarter and he drilled it through the lungs. Yes. And, uh, it, it, you're, da- you're back to when people start arguing ballistics. Well, death does not come in degrees. Your argument is invalid. <laughs> and, uh, I actually, one of mine, like, I have more guns than I need. Don't tell my wife. Because <laughs> that will, that, that just results in why do you need another one? But, um, Ruger came out with a few years ago, the, the, uh, the Model 77, little bolt action. Oh, yeah. In 357 Magnum. And, it's one of those things a lot of people are like, I don't know why that exists. I'm like, I, I don't know why it didn't exist sooner. And I, I'd really like to get my hands on one of those because I think you could have a lot of fun hand loading 
going way down to extremely light 38 special loads. And basically right. you've got a really big CB cap now, right? Yep. And yep. going up to high, you know, high end H110 full max loads. Uh, that rifle will shoot 158 grain slug at over 2000 feet per second. From because of the extended barrel and lock breech, it doesn't lose pressure like a revolver right. does, and all. And I, I'm I'm probably going to the next gun show, and I'm probably coming home with one. Yeah, I'd have to sneak it in the house. I don't know, but if if they make it left-handed bolt, I'll get one for sure. But I know, think I've they been, do. Oh well, I'll get one. I think Burger makes everything they do in left hand. You might have to special order it, but I think they they make them. You know, I've got a Thompson Center and a 357 maximum, and I've got a Dan Wesson 357 maximum, but that's a hand loading job there. But yeah. 357 Magnum is absolutely awesome. Well, that's the thing, right? You could take any 357 Magnum rifle to a, a gunsmith, other than a lever, right? Because you have to have clearance there, and you right. could easily extend the chamber to maximum length. A lot of people, I I have actually, NEF makes that, well, they used to make it, they stopped making them now, the handy right. rifle, a little break right. action, like oh, Price Thompson, right? And they yep. made that in three fifty seven. and because it's a break action, there's no headspace issues or anything like that with the barrel lugs right. or whatever, so you just, you can rent a reamer, and you can use a hand reamer, and you can ream one of those out a couple couple seconds, yeah, and, and just you know, went the, to where it'll fire maximum, magnum, and special. And, and the twist rate's the same, so you yep. still got the accuracy there. That was uh, Dan Weston came out with that revolver, and it was a great idea, but not for a revolver. Because what happens is it blows out the forcing cones in the freaking uh, yep. in the barrel because it just it's too hot and it, it has that gap, um, but. When they put it in the Thompson Center, it became a like big time uh, thing for people shooting uh, long range pistol uh, right. column uh, silhouette shooting. Because I mean, what else does that in a pistol? <laughs> yeah, I shot a pig with uh, my Dan Wesson one time, and uh, it was then it was an assault pistol. Once <laughs> once I shot the pig, but other than that, you know, <laughs> intent wasn't. Don't give there. the media any ideas. Don't use that <laughs> word again. Assault pistol. It's black. It's an assault pistol. <laughs> anyway, man, I've had a blast talking to you guys today. You want to tell people how they can uh, learn more about you guys and how they can work with you? Yeah, you go to uh, the website's a cut above naturals with an S, a cut above naturals dot com, or you can just call us at nine zero three six six three one zero zero eight. Uh, yeah, I can use your doctor's lab work, uh, and if it's not extensive enough, you know, we do it very, very inexpensively. We want you to spend so little money on the lab, and my consultation is free. I want you to spend the money on the supplements that can actually do the job. If you go on the Cut Above Naturals, just fill out the health survey, and, uh, you know, one of us will call. Usually I do it. Uh, you know, that's kind of hard, you know balancing dozens of emails and calls, but I'll do it about 95% of the time. I'll be the one that calls. So, you know, if you, if you kind of been butting a stump, so to speak, East Texas vernacular, but, uh, and you don't know why you feel that way, or if your doctor says you're fine, but you don't feel fine, you know, give us a call or go on the website. You know, we can do this nationwide too. So, I mean, even Luke has in London, you know, we, we deal with him. He's a delightful guy. I met through your podcast. Um, we we shipped to Afghanistan and Kuwait and all you know a lot of the servicemen too. So that's uh, 
kind of a privilege for me to do that. That's very cool. And I'll have links to your website. And we should remind people as well that my, my members of my support brigade get a discount, uh, which for people that are on, you know, a significant number of supplements, it's totally why I don't mean to sell it or nothing, but it's totally worth buying my membership to get your discount. <laughs> and, you know, after I pushed that the last podcast, I was afraid I was going to embarrass you. I had a lot of people says, I did it. I did it, Doc. You were right. We should pay him for the information. Yes, you should. You know, where you get your information is where you put your tithes and offerings. And, you know, I, I think once you invest in Jack Spearco, you're going to get it back somehow. Or if you invest in your health or you invest in Environmental Working Group or Weston Price Foundation, you know, it comes back to getting healthy. You know, blessings come from unexpected places, but I very much appreciate what you do. The more I listen to you, the more I think, man, this guy's really diverse and kind of funny, too. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I'm funny, sometimes I'm scary. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you on the investment attitude. Uh, I mean, I look at charity as an investment. Yes. So if I don't think that my money is going to be put to good use in a charity, I'm going to find another charity because I want a return of investment. That doesn't necessarily mean I want to ret- like buying a stock and selling at a higher price. But if I if I donate money to a charity, I want my return of investment to be that somebody's life improves. And if if that doesn't happen, then I've made a poor investment. And I think that our government's really good at poor investments. So when we look at things like private charities or what organizations or when we vote with our dollars, your your vote right. at the ballot box isn't going to change much this this year. But when you decide what companies to do business with, what products to buy, things like that, that's where you get the best return of your investment. And you get full control of that, and you don't have to pick between two either. right? right. You get a lot more choice when you look at it that way. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, you know, the older I get, the more I realize, you know, I've got to put out more. I want to help more people. I, I want to help them. And it's really a pleasure, you know, to work this blooming hard. And Janet and I really bust our butts to, to work hard and to give good service. But it comes back when people say, oh, my God, here's a picture of my baby. And they said I couldn't get pregnant. Or, oh, my God, my wife was going to blow her head off, and now she's happy again. Thank you for bringing my wife back. And I said, well, I like dark chocolate and dark beer. So if you want to thank me, bring me a case of Shinerbach. You know? <laughs> yeah, investment's a good thing. Stout and a 80% dark cocoa salted candy bar. Anyway, man, I had a blast <laughs> having you on today, man. And we will uh, be happy to have you back anytime you have another subject to talk about. I appreciate you very much, Jack. So I had a great time with uh, Dr. Lewis. Loved having him on. Uh, always a lot of great information. Had fun talking to him about guns, too. That was great. So with that wrapped up, guys, let me remind you, if you like the show and the, the stuff that I bring you every day, um, please consider joining the Members Brigade if you're not a member. Uh, you can do that by going to the survivalpodcast.com and clicking on Members to learn more and sign up there. Military, uh, law enforcement, Peace Corps, and first responders like EMTs, paramedics, or firefighters, all of you guys, active duty, or prior service, I give you a discount. If you email me, jack at the survivalpodcast.com with TSPC service discount in the subject line. It would be great to have you join and help support this show at about, well, it's about 18.3 cents an episode. Um, next up, want to remind you the other way you can support us is at tspaz.com or tspaz. It's easy to remember, isn't it? tspaz.com. If you go there, you'll end up on amazon.com. Just do your Amazon shopping as always, and uh, we get credit for yourselves. It's really an easy way to help support the work that we do here, and it doesn't cost you anything, and you don't have to do anything extra. You actually type one less letter 
uh, to get to Amazon than typing Amazon. So tspaz.com should be your way to shop on Amazon to support the work we do at TSP, the Survival Podcast. And uh, on that note, I do the Amazon item a day, so when you put tspaz in, you'll end up looking at the Amazon item of the day, and I put out a blog post every day on the Amazon item of the day. Today is uh, the Streamlight Stylus Pro Flashlight. It's a little skinny flashlight, takes two AAA batteries, fits in your pocket on a clip, all the way in the back of your pockets where I keep mine, like up against, you know, the far back toward your hip. You forget it's there until you need it. Great little clip, pulls out. It's got a, a thumb actuated uh, thing to turn it on. It is my personal EDC or everyday carry flashlight. And um, the, the reason I picked it for today's uh, show or today's featured item of the day is I was just looking through all my old orders and go, man, I've bought so many of those. And I want to tell you what, why I've bought so many of them. What happens is I usually buy two at a time because they're like 17 bucks, so they're cheap for a good quality flashlight like this. And it is really good quality, super bright flashlight. And I'll buy two, and I'll keep one in my drawer with my extra lights and one in my pocket and because uh, I believe EDC is EDC, not SDC. SDC is someday carry or, or MDC, most days carry. No, EDC is everyday carry. But I get, you know, I misplace stuff. I have a problem with that. So sometimes I misplace it to like find it, I get another one, but I usually find it. But what inevitably happens is I'm at an event, a workshop, something, I'll be talking to somebody, and uh, they won't have a flashlight on them, especially when they're here at, you know, at night, it's dark, I don't want to get hurt, and I'll give them away. And I've probably given away a dozen of them over the years. And those that are long-term listeners to this show know that it was probably five or six years ago was the first time I started recommending that light, and I'm still carrying it. Uh, they are fantastic, 17 bucks on Prime, free shipping. tspaz.com will take you there today. You can see my little write-up on the blog. And uh, even if you have no interest in that, remember, tspaz.com, do your Amazon shopping, support the show, couldn't be easier. The other great thing to do is business with members of our community. Uh, with the TSP Business Directory, you can just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Business Directory, uh, or just go to tspbiz.com and it'll redirect you there. Today's supporting member of the Business Directory is the Canovo Group, Utah-based real estate team with over a decade of experience in business. Check them out at the TSP Business Directory. That's an example of a regional business. If I'm not going to use the Canovo Group because I'm not buying real estate in Utah. I live in Texas. But if I lived in Utah... I would get in touch with these guys if I need a real estate agent and give them a crack at my business because they're part of our community. That's what the business directory is all about. Remember, to be found in the directory, you can just sign your own business up there for as little as five bucks to get started with the TSP business directory. Uh, with that, let's get into the final uh, segment of the show, the ending song today. Um, this song is an old, whole old song. Now, I guess it's not really that old, but for some of you guys that are like, you know, the millennial generation is... Probably written before you were born, uh, even though it's not that old. It's like an 80s song. It's called God Must Be a Cowboy at Heart by Dan Seals. And Dan Seals is not like one of those artists that like I you know, bought all his tapes back in the day or whatever and had everything he ever did. I, I didn't really dig a lot of Dan Seals' music. It's a bit high-pitched, and it's, it's not me, really. It's not the kind of country music I really generally liked. But this song, the first time I heard it, I did go out and buy his tape, his album, whatever you want to call it, that this song, just to listen to just this song. Because back in the day, guys, we didn't have MP3s. No. If you wanted to get a song and they didn't release it as a single on one of those little plastic discs, you know, the, the little 45s, no, not for your CD player, for, for record. Anyway, if it wasn't released that way and by the 80s records were on the way out, um, you wanted one song, you had to go get the whole album. 
And I picked this song today for you guys because I think that whether you like country music or not, and whether you like this style of music or not, because it's kind of like soft country, um, I think you'll like the sentiment of it. I think so many of us want what he's singing about in this song in our lives. I really do. Wide open spaces, campfire, coffee, good friend and a guitar. Sounds like a good day. The whole song, even though he's talking about being kind of on the range, just makes you think of the homestead life. I think it will make you think about that, too. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Campfire, coffee, from a tin cup in my hand. It sure warms the fingers when it's cold. old guitar a friend I understand it sure smooth the wrinkles in my soul sleeping in the moonlight a blanket or a bed it leaves a peaceful feeling in my up in the morning with an eagle overhead makes me long to fly away before my time and I think God must be a cowboy at heart he made wide open spaces And a horse to be a friend And trails to lead old cowboys home again The nightlife in big cities Is alright for a while It sure make you feel good when you're there But the country And a horse to be a friend And trails to lead old cowboys home again And trails to lead old cowboys home